Welcome to Nicosia Uncut, produced and presented by Androma Isofokleos and Kemal Baykallı. Today we discuss the problems the Turkish Cypriots face regarding vaccination certificates. And Turkey is faced with multiple domestic and international problems before the upcoming presidential elections in 2023. We also touch on the latest in Varosha and the upcoming departure of Anfisip head, Ms. Elizabeth Becher. Welcome to Nikosiyanka. We are in August and uh, summertime is always um, a very dull uh, moment for all the podcasters when and if they are talking about Cyprus problem. And uh, hello Andromahi. Hello Kemal, how are you doing? Well, trying to survive under this you know, difficult weather conditions, very 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 hot. And even the air, air conditions are not helping and I have to switch off my air condition because I'm recording our podcast. So <laughs> how are you? I am fine. I am fine. I think I'm in the same situation as you and I am a bit uh, not upset, but you know, it's kind of a change in my daily routine uh, to actually get down to doing the podcast and to discussing this burdensome and uh, pessimistic <laughs> uh, things that are happening. Yeah. It's uh, more than uh, a year, two years. I, I lost count that that virus is in our lives, and um, now everybody's talking about uh, the fact that the uh, the virus certification of the Turkish Cypriots are not recognized, and which means that they won't be able to travel abroad um, through the ports uh, which are under the effective control of Republic of Cyprus, and this is now a big issue, and everybody's um, like blaming each other and um, the fact that now um, especially many Turkish Cypriot students with the Republic of Cyprus documentations um, have to um, go and travel from Larnaca and then they have to go to their final destinations but then again we've been hearing that their documentations are not recognized and that would require the two sides to find a solution to this because of the political problem. We know that the certification of the the Turkish Cypriots uh, issued in the north wouldn't be recognized internationally. And um, and then we've been hearing recently um, some, some good news uh, on that how the Turkish Cypriots can also be able to get vaccinated in the Republic of Cyprus area. But again, um, what about the ones who have already been vaccinated? And those vaccines have been provided um, by the EU through Republic of Cyprus. So uh, people have been asking me a lot about this as well. What What do you have on this? Yes. So firstly, regarding, uh, as you referred to, a number of Turkish Cypriots that are um, studying abroad, um, I think today it's Thursday, the 12th of August, 150 Turkish Cypriot students actually were vaccinated uh, in the South. So that, that was sort of settled because of, um, it had to happen, in fact, because of everything that you described and the fact that the British authorities do not recognize the certificates issued in the North. So we know that we heard a few days ago after some social media statements that uh, the 
uh, airports in the Republic of Cyprus uh, controlled areas uh, announced that they do not accept any certificates by the North uh, and they don't even accept the PCR tests by the North. We tried to see what happens because, as you understand, this situation affects a number of people. And we must say that we know a lot of Turkish Cypriots that for their own reasons do not want to fly uh, internationally through Turkey. And they choose to fly from the airports that are recognized by the Republic of Cyprus. Those people are now not able to travel and they are basically stuck in Cyprus. So it is a huge problem for a number of people. We tried to see what's, uh, what is going on. So the official line by the Republic of Cyprus is that they asked from uh, the Turkish Cypriot authorities to give them uh, the names, the list of names of Turkish Cypriots that were vaccinated in the north uh, in order to enlist them in the European data, but the Turkish Cypriot authorities are refusing. This, I'm referring to the official line that is uh, put forward by the Republic of Cyprus. At the same time, we know for a fact that there are now attempts to surpass the problem, uh, at least for the Turkish Cypriots that have uh, Republic of Cyprus IDs. Uh, as far as I understand, there are attempts to create this platform in which the Turkish Cypriots will be able to be uploading their data in order for them to be able to travel. We were informed about this by a very high-profile uh, source in the Republic of Cyprus, and we really hope uh, that this will uh, indeed happen and that this, this will be fulfilled because uh, and a lot of people are, uh, are concerned about the issue and a lot of things are at stake because of this. But, you know, regardless of what happens in effect, etc., I remember ourselves like months ago, uh, Kemal referring to the need for col uh, collaboration and coordination between the sites. And one of the f issues that we raised was exactly this issue of vaccine recognition. And it just, you know, at times it gets frustrating to see that things that one could have preempted, things that one could have known in advance, um, are not taken care of at the right time. And they, we end up having so many people concerned and so many, um, people, uh, you know, feeling at loss with the situation. You know, it's very interesting. Since we've been, having a couple of heads uh, when it comes to the Cyprus problem. Okay, we are doing this podcast, but we are also activists. It's interesting. Like last couple of years, I think I have developed, we have developed the ability of, of seeing the train coming from miles away. You know, it's, it's obvious that it's going to crash. It's, it's, it's very clear. We, we, I think we are always the first one to realize it and say it and put it in, in press releases or put it in programs and we just put it out loud and say social media. We keep asking science to cooperate because in the end it's the people who suffer. I mean, that's, that's the, the, matter, the, the crux of the matter because... We know how the sides are trying to corner each the other side when it comes to the Cyprus problem, and then they're all trying to score goals and making points. 
And let's be honest, now that we have uh, Erdogan-Tatar cooperation in, in power, I, I think the Republic of Cyprus, the Greek Cypriots have, have many opportunities to score many goals. But having said that, I think it's it's the Cypriots, regardless of the language that they speak, um, who suffer. And um, it, it, it is a shame because it is such a small community and then people keep asking to us and coming to us because they know that we are involved and, you know, trying to, to you know, we, we are the ones who have been saying these things. It's just another example of our motto, which is, you know, status quo is not sustainable. I mean, it is, we've been saying this. We will continue to say this because it is not. Well, I think we will continue to say that there is no such thing as a status quo, as we have repeated many times. But on this issue, so on the one hand, we received a lot of messages by Turkish Cypriots that were raising their concerns about the issue. But at the same time, it kind of reminds me of everything that Mustafa Kinci used to warn about a while ago when he was saying how this choice by Ersin Tadar and Erdogan to follow this hardcore two-state solution approach is going to be to the detriment of the Turkish Cypriots. And this is what we see happening because these words of grandeur and about the need for the world to realize that there are two sovereign states on the island as Tatar is claiming, you know, they collapse <laughs> at the first instance of the need for international the problem recognition. With Tatar. The problem with Tatar is that he's hardcore nationalist, that's for sure. But he's not deep. I mean, he doesn't have the depth of understanding the the, the, the positions of, of, of you know, in, in Cyprus problem. I mean, it's not like Kutret Özersay, who actually was not necessarily saying something very different. Okay, he, you know, there were there were differences in nuances and here, you know, but I mean, this guy is is unbelievable. I mean, recently he said things to um, remind me the the um, the newspaper at the Financial Times. Yes. He um, gave an interview and he used such definitions. Later, he, he, he said that I didn't say them, but he did. And then he doesn't even remember because he doesn't have the depth of understanding the concepts. I mean, he doesn't understand the difference between nationality, nation or race. You know, you just cannot say my race. You, I mean, it's okay if you want to say my people, my nation, if you believe that Turkey Cypriots and Turks are you know, part of the same nation. It's it's a it's an ideological position, but you just cannot say race. You cannot use such words. I mean, hello, hello. This is the twenty first century. We've been through Nazism and fascism, and we thought that we left this kind sake. of rhetoric behind. And you know, we are laughing, but you know, there is this word in in Greek that is klavsigelos, which means kind of a combination of crying and laughing and I think this is the situation because you see this person that is so out of touch with reality but this person is really influencing the lives of so many people and for me the most upsetting thing of all is that in this situation regarding the vaccines but in everything, it is the younger Turkish Cypriot generation that has to suffer. And it is this generation that has its minds and hearts open to the world, to the international community, to Europe. They feel European, they feel that they, they share the values of, uh, they share progressive values, and they see their wings being cut uh, because of a leader who is 
in no way in touch with reality. He's putting forward things that are only harming his own community. And he's what also... Is even more, what is even more traumatic was that he came to power after Akinju. I mean... Yes. You know, you can criticize Akinju um, if you want to, but... This guy was the most progressive Cypriot. I'm not saying Turkey Cypriot, but the most progressive Cypriot leader Cyprus has ever had in, in, in the recent history. And, and, and the, you know, the things he was saying, the, you know, the, his narratives, his positions, but also how careful he was formulating his, his, his words and then in crucial times. And, you know, we had this guy and then now we have Mr. Tata. <laughs> talking about all the things that he been he's been talking about, and that's another like like contrast. Indeed, indeed, and um, I I remembered the, the other day because we had the painful uh, anniversaries of uh, of July, and uh, I remembered when uh, Mustafa Kinji had made that very famous speech in which he said that in 1974 a war took place and people suffered and that and I remember this recently after hearing to what uh, Sintadar was saying uh, and you know it, it goes to show what what there was and what there is now and uh, the only thing that consoles me in this situation is the fact that Mustafa Kinji has the capacity to still influence uh, a lot of people and you see that with every public intervention that he makes you see how so many youngsters are rallying around him because he gives them hope and so I must say I, I, I always think that it is important for political figures to have um, a political presence and a voice in public even when they are not in power when they don't uh, uh, have any power and I think it is important that Mustafa Kinchi has uh, risen up to the occasion he, whilst he had said that he would withdraw and everything we still see that he chooses to make public interventions that influence and guide especially the younger Turkish Cypriot generation because it is important for them to keep the hope, their hope alive. So in the last program we were discussing um, what happened when Mr. Erdogan came and then statements made um, on, on the 20th of July and then there were lots of speculations that, you know, the entire uh, air, a closed area of Varosha would be opened. That didn't happen. Eventually, we had 3.5% of the area um, has been um, removed. Um, the military status of the area was, was removed. And um, yesterday, I was in Varosha's um, newly opened area, together with Greek Cypriot and Turkish Cypriot from Augustians. Um, last couple of uh, weeks and months they've been trying to um, create some sort of a humanitarian humanist movement where they go there they hold hands and it was very important for for me also as an activist to be there and to to show solidarity and um, you know it's it's very sad to see um, many Greek Cypriot Varoshans who had to leave their house hoping that they would be returning the next day or two and they've been waiting for, I don't know, for almost half a century to look at their buildings and all those nationalistic symbols are, are now there. But it's also a very dramatic choice for many of them because um, what if, um, as the Turkish side and Turkish Cypriot side claims, what if 
they will be given their uh, properties back and will they be go and live under the Turkish slash Turkish Cypriot uh, administration? Um, it's a difficult choice. I know that many people like they been saying like, you know, it doesn't matter even if it's the devil, I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to go my home. I don't care. I mean, nobody has done anything to me for now. And I, I find it very, you know, I understand it. I mean, I, I get connected with those people. Yes, well, I think that we are up for a lot of, we said this before, I mean, the the Greek Cypriot community will be divided over what will happen. Let's refer a bit to the event that took place on Wednesday, because, you know, this Birlikter message, this Mazi together message is important, and it is important, especially because I saw during the 20th of uh, July anniversary and the, the, during the, the events that were taking place in the South, there was this very big event, I must say, by the far right, by Lam, of course, with a full of Greek flags and everything. And they, they, they went to Lidra Palace and they were protesting. And uh, I was reading a lot of comments on social media by the far right or... Not only by the far right, I was reading a lot of comments in general that were saying it was sad that only Elam was there and why not other people also go. And they were saying, where are all these people that are pro-reunification? And, you know, we need to stress that when pro-reunification people are in <laughs> the, the city of Varosha, they are there. They are there uh, at the risk of their own lives. They are there at the risk of their own sort of, uh, uh, at a personal risk. They don't do it from the safety of Lidra Palace. <laughs> and uh, they are there with their Turkish Cypriot compatriots and they are there making a joint call regarding the future of that city and nothing can be stronger than a joint call um, about the future of the city and not only of the city but of the island in general and it is high time this pseudo-nationalistic rhetoric about the claims that are made by the far right and how they represent uh, a greater nationalistic dream it is high time this we understood that this is nothing but slogans. This is nothing but slogans from the comfort of Lidra Palace. And the real struggle takes place in the north. And unless we realize this, we are, we are going to be trapped in pseudo, uh, <laughs> agendas. Uh, in, yeah, in, in, in those agendas and in stupid slogans that have got us nowhere. Tell me a bit about this event organized by Famagustians and um, Anastasiadis was there and then I think there were some protests as well. What happened? Well, yes, it was on uh, Saturday, the, I think it was the 7th of August and uh, the, the municipality of Famagusta invited Anastasiadis to speak in the ceremony. I must say there was there were very few people at the event itself. I mean, very very few people. If if Anastasiadis had not taken with him the whole of the ministers' council, uh, basically the crowd would have been non-existent. But there was there were a number of Greek Cypriot protesters, Famagustians, who went there and they heckled the president. They protested against him. They shouted uh, during his speech. They were shouting for him to resign. We must say that these are the kind of unprecedented times uh, for the Republic of Cyprus because you do not normally see this sort of uh, challenge 
towards uh, political figures, especially not with Anastasiadis, who has the capacity to control, uh, well, he controls a greater a great percentage of the media. And uh, we saw Greek Cypriots heckling him, calling him to resign. They were holding this uh, big uh, picture of him uh, enjoying a night out in Athens uh, a few days after Erdogan visited Varosha. And uh, he was, uh, they were shouting to him that they're not going to uh, heed uh, his advice. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if we discussed this during the last um, episode, but Anastasiadis made this statement in which he said that he does not expect any Greek Cypriot to become an accomplice of uh, of Turkey. And that word accomplice was so strong uh, to use it against the Famagustians and it hit particularly hard. And that was something that the Famagustians opposed. They protested against it and they told him, you cannot call us an accomplice of Turkey if we choose to return to our homes. So I don't think that the reactions received the, the attention that they were worth uh, in the local uh, Greek Cypriot media, but it was, it was an important uh, uh, point in time, I must say. Something very interesting happened since our last program. Um, okay, so something very unfortunate as well. Um, there were big fires um, everywhere in the world. But uh, the ones in Turkey, they were particularly big, and also in Greece. Turkey was unable to cope with such big fires. And instead of asking for help, um, what they did, the, the Erdogan administration, his, um, let's say, followers, they tried to hit Turkish citizens who've been you know, on social media trying to ask for help. Help Turkey was the hashtag and it was like very big in in, in Twitter. And instead of, you know, uh, being a reasonable leader and trying to get help, they were just attacking the ones who were trying to ask help internationally because, you know, um, reportedly, um, supposedly, this was damaging the greatness of, of, of Turkey. What a... What a big, what a big thinking, you know. But this was not the only thing. the The picture of of Mr. Erdogan going to the area. There were um, videos of him, and uh, while passing through um, the area with his um, bus, he was throwing um, tea tea bags to the people, like as if you're throwing things in the Christmas, you know, those presents, and then like. People got furious. People got furious because, like, you are in the in the area where most of the, you know, tea was being produced, and you were uh, going and trying to solve the problems of the people, and instead you're just, you know, um, attacking them and throwing tea. And as if it's not enough, um, people have been questioning that each and every minister. Um, were traveling into the area with their own private jets, but Turkey didn't have enough firefighting planes to fight the fires. And the people were like, "Like, why are we giving taxes? Like, what are those people are doing?" I think this was a turning point for 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 the Erdogan government. I think this was the time when even the the ones who were rather silent, not taking sides, they were really very angry. And I think this, uh, being in a normal country, I think he, he should have resigned by now. I mean, 
But um, I think this this became a, an interesting turning point for Turkish politics, the, the, the whole picture of it. Well, it is very interesting to hear this. And I think that the whole situation goes to show how the distance between what the people on the ground are going through and the elected political figures. And uh, I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of this in the region. Uh, in all honesty, the, the, the scenes that we saw from, from the fires have been heartbreaking. The ecological disaster uh, is unprecedented. Uh, and the, regardless of the fact that, for instance, in Greece, no, I think um, one or two firefighters died, but, uh, you know, the, the, the government in Greece was pretty proud that there was no human lives uh, lost. But, you know, I mean, the, the loss of the forest, the loss of so many animals, the loss of biodiversity, we are talking about a huge disaster. And watching all this and especially knowing what the future will be, because Climate change is here. Extreme weather phenomenon will become the norm, as most uh, studies show. Watching all this happening, you know, I, I often caught myself, you know, taking a step back and thinking, can I imagine a future in which the countries of the region will be able to collaborate on tackling this common threat with which we are faced? Can I imagine or hope that in my lifetime I'm going to see the governments of Greece, Cyprus, Turkey and even Israel collaborating or setting a regional uh, force that, that would be ready to combat the fires and the extreme weather phenomenon that we are uh, yet to see. And really this phenomena will be influencing the daily lives of the people on the ground and this phenomena will be shaping the mentalities and the understandings of people on the ground much more than any pseudo-discovery either in the Black Sea or in the waters of Cyprus will There do. is a new, another trend, um, a very dangerous trend as well nowadays um, um, in Turkey. Um, Turkish population in Turkey um, have been um, experiencing um, a population movement of, of Syrians um, escaping the war and then moving into Turkey and living in Turkey. And it created a, a, a lot of resentment within the community towards the Syrians. And uh, it, it led to many xenophobic narratives developing and, and very um, problematic issues were co coming up. And with the latest um, deal of of, of of Turkey to be more involved in Afghanistan and you know the Americans are, are also promoting this um, and then we also see many Afghani uh, citizens are, are also moving to Turkey it created a very a very negative atmosphere um, against migrants against those people who are escaping war or, or bad economic conditions a few days ago or I think was yesterday um, there was this big uh, attack on the um the the houses and um few um you know few houses and few shops it, it is it, it reminds us uh, the, the pogrom years and times and it, it is it is so dangerous it, it shows that the, the the current turkish government is unable to cope with the real 
economic, political, sociological, um, environmental issues of, of the country. And this means that they will have to, um, you know, squeeze um, the, the, the pressure, increase the pressure even more. And I don't know how, how long they will be able to continue to do this. Yes, and uh, sadly at times of crisis and especially in lack of uh, leadership that will guide public, um, sadly societies are often keen to create the other that they will blame for their catastrophe, that they will blame for their problems. And migrants are always a very good scapegoat that the governments themselves often uh, use. And um, it is disheartening to see uh, people not being able to grasp that we are all liable and we are all in this very precarious situation at the time being and at any point things might change in our lives and if something as we said i remember in our last podcast of 2020 we expected covid to show this and you know we hoped that covid would allow humans to understand their how fragile and how vulnerable they are but it is disheartening to see that instead of this we always just choose scapegoats and we choose interesting the in this particular case in turkey in fact the turkish government um, are not attacking or blaming them it's because they are mishandling the sociological demographic process. They're not doing it careful enough uh, with, uh, with all the necessary supportive measures. And, uh, and, and people are feeling that they're, you know, you know, it's a very nationalistic and xenophobic argument, but they're feeling that they're losing their uh, country in, in inverted commas. And, and this is even more dangerous because the government cannot control this and, and the opposition even um, owning this. And then this is a very dangerous situation where you cannot control your own population anymore. And there will be elections in Turkey in 2023. And um, let's see how things will be shaping up until that time. But I think it was important to give a little bit uh, in this program a context in Turkey, so, so that maybe people have a, have a better understanding how these things are also reflecting to Cyprus. And I, I think Cyprus is, is one area where left, right and center in Turkey, they, they, they generally feel united. And, um, but even, even then, when the Turkish Cypriot opposition refused to go into the parliament, for the first time I saw some uh, dissenting voices in, in, in Turkey where they were saying, you know, um, they were even understanding or, or, or supporting the, the Turkish Cypriot opposition for taking this position because th there is so much reaction against uh, Erdogan in Turkey. Yes, and uh, in fact, because um, we are in August and the, the Republic of Cyprus announced that by the end of 2021 it would start drilling again in the waters of Cyprus and it is worth putting together your analysis on the situation in Turkey with the possible reaction of Turkey towards uh, the drillings in the Republic of Cyprus exclusive economic zone because yet again in the Eastern Mediterranean there is this um, game uh, or this attempt for geopolitical assertiveness on behalf of Turkey and we often see how uh, Erdogan is using developments uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean in order to 
assert his influence uh, in the country and in Turkey and um, we need to keep our eye on how Erdogan will react to the drillings announced by the Republic of Cyprus. Already they both uh, Erdogan and uh, Ersin Tatar have said that the Turkish and Turkish Cypriot side will react and will also uh, start drilling themselves. So it is worth looking at this through the lens of your analysis as well about what is happening in Turkey. When we were planning for this program, we thought it's going to be short, but I think <laughs> we always found some things to discuss once we start discussing. I was thinking the same be- bef- thing. Before we conclude, I- I'll just um, explain one more thing. Um, yesterday, the on the on the on the newspapers on 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 internet. There were uh, there were statements by Turkish uh, uh, ambassador in in the north, um, and um, he said that the history books should change so that the Turkish Cypriot should uh, embrace the nationalistic and you know patriotic um, values more, and uh, and this created a, a wave of reactions against the uh, ambassador as well because generally um traditionally they are not necessarily uh, very very loud when it comes to saying something they generally don't need to they they talk with the Turkish Cypriot authorities and but you know we have we have been, we have been seeing experiencing interesting development when it comes to Turkish and um, Turkish Cypriot relations so this is also another sign um, showing the back what's at the back of their mind because historically and traditionally Turkish Cypriot um, teachers unions uh, have been very progressive and they've been generally filtering all these uh, nationalistic narratives you know, being injected into the Turkish Cypriots and it also created a, a resentment uh, as well. So we don't know how things will be coming up with the with the with the developments and with the changes. I know that there is this sense of anger and but also sense of, of vulnerability. People are feeling that uh, you know we we did our best in the last elections and we got forty eight percent and there is not much we can do. But uh, this is not always the case. I know that still um, many Turkish Cypriots are very upset with the developments in, in the north, and uh, I don't know how things will be. Uh, this these things will be uh, affecting their psyche as well. Do we have anything else um, before we conclude? I think before we conclude, we should just say a few words uh, uh, because I think um, Elizabeth Specher, the special representative and head of the United Nations Peacekeeping Force in Cyprus. Uh, is due to leave the island. I'm not sure if there has been an official announcement yet, to be honest, but it is reported everywhere um, that her mandate is finishing. Um, uh, Mrs. Becher was uh, was in Cyprus since 2016, so it's been five and a half years. Um, she has been very much in touch with uh, the Cypriot civil society and uh, I must say that as a political analyst, uh, I, I often noted how she was also the target of uh, especially the Republic of Cyprus officials, uh, um, especially when it comes to leaks in the media. media. It's always the easy way out to target the United Nations uh, officials. Um, but uh, I would just like to say that, uh, you know, Miss Becher, 
was always this sort of calm voice of reason and I, I have been following her announcements and her statements. She was always making to the point uh, comments and comments that really um, were hitting the nail on the head when it comes to the situation in Cyprus and because I also knew her personally, um, I was always struck by her uh, insistence on the fact that it is up to the Cypriots to not own the process and it is up to the Cypriots to assert their decisiveness for peace and this is something that I always kept from our interactions. So uh, let's wish her um, you know, all the best in her, uh, in her future career. A very refined diplomat indeed, yes. Uh, it's difficult to operate in, in the Cypriot context, in the Cyprus context. And um, yes, maybe like each and every politician and diplomat, maybe she uh, made mistakes. Um, I, I cannot think of any, but in the in the grand, grand, uh, great scheme, I, I can say that she has been very much committed to helping the Cypriots and um, to what she has been trying to achieve, which is nothing other than um, solving the Cyprus problem and solving the problems that are, you know, being a burden on Cypriots, which, um, you know, for me, you know, these efforts are very um, honorable and, um, you know, she has always been very open to the civil society, as you rightly pointed out. She has always keeping her calm and she's always been, you know, trying to um, um, handle all this uh, abuse that comes from uh, the, the Cypriot politicians. So let's wish her all the best. And she was also, just the final point, she was also very keen on encouraging the more active participation of uh, women and uh, youth in the Cypriot civil, in the Cypriot political, uh, in the peace process. And this is something that was reflected in all um, Security Council uh, resolutions and in the reports of the United Nations Secretary General. So let's let's at least keep this insistence on the greater participation of uh, women and youth and push harder. So on this note, we are closing the program and um, this one lasted more than we thought <laughs> and uh, we assumed. And um, before we, uh, we we finish, I just want to make a reference to the fact that on our social media, people saw Nikosia Ankat and us um, speaking to the to the cameras. And um, that's because Cyprus is always an interesting place for the the journalists and uh, and those uh, who are making a documentary about Cyprus. So um, you know, I, I think um, it wouldn't be wrong to say that uh, we were also um, <laughs> we were also getting lots of questions and uh, you know uh, inquiries about us supporting them and their work. And this was just one of them. You want to say anything on that? No, it was a pleasure to uh, have the people that uh, were interested in Cyprus with us. And uh, as always, we try to give them <laughs> our perspective through the lens of uh, the need for a united Cyprus. So. On that note, we say goodbye.